This morning I'll be reading from Mark 12, verses 13 through 17. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar that things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Good morning. Got one or two out of that. I'll take it. I'm Travis. Uh, I am the pastor here, and I am tired. I don't know if any of y'all are tired. We just moved this week. It feels like a whole week happened in a day, and yet a day was a week each time. Uh, so. If I don't make sense today, I apologize, uh, and let's pray that the Lord does something with uh, the two fish and five loaves, or what is, whichever way it was, five fish and two loaves. See, that's what I'm talking about. Um, we are uh, continuing in our series. Uh, we're actually starting to wind down our series uh, in the Gospel of Mark that we've been calling Meeting the Real Jesus, uh, focusing on how Mark's Gospel reveals who Jesus really is on his own terms. Uh, not in the way that we might have come to think about him growing up, maybe uh, not the cultural preconceptions that we might have with him, not the way that just I like to think about Jesus, but Jesus on his own terms, in his own words, so that we don't end up either rejecting a Jesus who isn't real and somehow, and somehow miss out on what God would have for us, or put our hope in a Jesus who is too small for the world that is around us, a Jesus that isn't strong enough, that isn't wise enough, that doesn't challenge us and push back against us in the ways that we need to be challenged. Uh, that's been my hope through this series, is that we start to see, little by little, a broader picture of who Jesus is, maybe than uh, the one that we grew up with, the one that we're comfortable with ourselves, whether you're Christians or not. Uh, I'm hoping that this series will be helpful for us in these ways. Today we're focusing on a Jesus who can handle the most difficult challenges that we can throw at him and lead us out of all the ways that we ourselves are trapped by the challenges in our lives and the challenges that we create for ourselves. And so we're going to talk a lot about being trapped today. Kids, I don't know if any of you on here know anything about what it feels like to be trapped Maybe an older sibling has trapped you at some time and you thought, I don't like this. Uh, it can be easy at times, even when we're a big kid and we were a grown-up, to feel like I feel trapped. Sometimes we also don't even know that we're trapped. We don't know. We maybe go to get up. I don't know if you had that. You've gotten stuck on a seat before and you go to get up and you're stuck and you can't move. Some of what's going to happen in our text today is that people are stuck 
and they can't move and they don't know it yet. And Jesus is going to show them what that means to be stuck and how we get out of being stuck, being trapped. Our passage this morning comes from a part of Mark's gospel where Jesus is actually getting challenged all the time by a bunch of different people. Uh, in verse eleven twenty-seven, right before the passage that we read this morning, it says, Jesus said, come back again to Jerusalem. So that's the setting for our text. He is in the big city. And he is quickly finding himself confronted by the leaders of Israel's day. In our passage here, the Herodians and the Pharisees. And these are people that are challenged or frustrated by what Jesus is doing and teaching and what that teaching and those actions means for their lives. They don't like how he is changing the way the world works in their minds. And so they're trying to discredit Jesus in our passage today, to to make the discomfort of who he is and what he does in our world go away. They want to push that to the side. And so here they're trying to trap him in his words, as our text says, by bringing up one of the most contentious questions that you could ever ask anyone about. Taxes. Should we pay them? Should we not? All right, we just went through a very contentious week politically. Imagine an equally contentious issue. Taxes in that day, we'll talk about this a little more, were equally as contentious as any of the political issues we've been talking about as a country in the past two weeks. This was a tense, fraught issue. And yet Jesus doesn't shy away from the challenge that comes up from really difficult things. Instead, he leans in and attempts to lovingly but firmly draw those who are challenging him, who are actually trapped, back out of that trap and back towards God. And to see that, to see that Jesus, the one who steps in, who leans into our challenges, into those difficult moments, I want us to look at three quick things. Setting a trap, revealing a trap, and stepping into the trap. Kids, I don't know if you can hear me. It was setting a trap, revealing a trap, and stepping into a trap, okay? You can write those down if you've got your little sermon worksheets. But before we get into those three things, let's pray. I invite you to bow your heads and pray with me. Ask God to fill up our time. God, we thank you that you are good all the time. All the time you are good to us, whether we understand that or not, whether we know what you're doing right now, whether we can see it, whether it feels like it or not, your intentions, your power, your plan for us is always good. And yet, all too often, God, I confess I'm short-sighted in seeing that. I am captive to the moment. We are captive to small and passing things. God, would you open our hearts a little this morning that we might be caught up into something greater? Would you meet our little ones here that they might hear of how good you are, of how you rescue us? And whether we are young or old, we know that to be true, whether that's for the first time or for the thousandth time. In your son's name and by your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Let's jump right into our first point, setting a trap. Uh, The challenge that Jesus faces here, again, involves the Pharisees, who were the religious experts of their day, and the Herodians. They were other power players uh, in Israel at the time. They were the supporters, the servants. You might think of them as something like the bureaucracy of the local government, of Herod, who was the provincial ruler. 
And they weren't just arguing with Jesus or getting into a conflict with him. Our text says they were trying to put him in a trap. This was not just an intellectual curiosity. This was not an honest disagreement. This was them trying to trick Jesus so that he would be discredited, so that his influence, his ministry would start to recede, that the impact he had would start to go away. So they ask him a seemingly impossible question. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? What do you say, Jesus? This would be an impossibly difficult question. This is a trap. It's meant to be a trap because as a conquered part of Rome at that time, these were a conquered people in a conquered province, Israel was required to pay taxes to their Roman occupiers, not just to support their local government and their local uh, economy and those sort of things, but to Rome, to a people who had come in, killed many of them, taken much of what they had, and then said, now you need to continue paying us. This was not a popular thing. No one was excited about these kinds of taxes. It was deeply unpopular. And yet it would be equally dangerous, equally unpopular to say that you ought not to pay this tax because saying that I will not pay taxes to Rome is going to quickly cause the government, those in charge, to come down on you in a particularly Roman way. And Rome was not known to be gentle or kind with those that refused to comply with Rome's rule. So this puts Jesus in an extremely tough spot. As one commentator, Robert Stein, explains, if Jesus says yes, he will alienate the people who despise the taxes that they are forced to pay to Rome. But if he says no, this would result in an immediate confrontation with Rome and his arrest. For the Roman authorities would not tolerate such a clear act of insurrection. So regardless of whether Jesus would answer yes or no, the local rulers will succeed in bringing an end to his popularity and his ministry. They think, finally, got it. This is the moment. It seems like a checkmate on Jesus' ministry when all the uncomfortable things that he is doing to their lives, all the way that he's pushing into corners they don't want him to talk about, all the ways that he's taking away influence from them when they want influence, all those things will finally start to recede. Maybe you can identify with that kind of desire when it comes to God. The idea, the desire that his influence in your life in some area would just start to recede a little bit. Maybe you just overtly don't like the idea of Jesus, period. You're not a Christian here this morning. You don't like the idea of what he would call out in your life, the things that he would call you to. Maybe you don't like the, the conception of how the universe and the world works that Jesus has. You don't like how that disagrees with your understanding of how these things ought to work. Or maybe you are a Christian. There's some area of life that you just prefer that Jesus would stop talking about, that he would just stop nudging you on, that he would just be a little bit quieter, that he would just give you a little peace. You're not outright opposed to him, but you'd, you'd prefer if in some ways he'd give you a little pass. Or maybe you would like it better if Jesus would say yes to one or the other. Just say yes or no. You'd like it if Jesus was Republican or Democrat. You don't want a Jesus in between. You don't want Jesus that is on his own terms. We like him better in a particular box. 
maybe only subconsciously, but we like a clean, neat answer. We like to be able to draw these things out. But Jesus' response shows us that when we try to put Jesus in a box, when we try to trap him, when we try to ask him to stop speaking into some area of life, all that's happening is that we have revealed to us that we are actually the ones that are trapped. We're actually the ones that are living in a box. We need correcting. We need saving from those things. And that brings us to our second point, revealing a trap. Kids, if you're still listening, we got through point one, setting a trap. We're at point two, revealing a trap. Jesus knows that they are trying to trap him. Verse 15, what does it say there? It says, why are you testing? Jesus knows what they are up to with this. He understands that they are trying to trap him with an impossible question. So he asks them for a Roman coin, and he says, whose image is on this coin? And they respond, Caesar's. It's an obvious question. And then Jesus does the impossible. He says, give or render, as our text says, to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. You can maybe say it a little differently, pay your debts to Caesar, pay your debts to God. Give what is Caesar's back to Caesar. Give what is God's back to God's. And this amazes them. Verse 17 says they marveled at him because he has avoided their trap. He has not simply said, yes, you must pay taxes. He has not simply said, no, you should never pay taxes. He has avoided the trap, and they're stunned. But more stunning than the realization that their trap didn't work is that Jesus reveals to them that they are actually the ones that are trapped. I'm going to show you how his response does that here because what, what Jesus says about the Roman side of things does feel obvious. It seems simple. Give Caesar his money. Give him his image-inscribed coin. Give that which is his back to him. Pay taxes. But what he says on the flip side about giving back to God may be less obvious, but is actually much, much more important and reveals the ways that they are trapped and the ways that we get ourselves trapped. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God's. He's setting up an equivalency here. He talks about the image of Caesar on this coin. Give the image of Caesar back to Caesar and give the image of God back to God. And what's God's image? Biblically speaking, it's us, humanity. Genesis 1.27 says God made humanity in his image. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, both men and women, equally as the image of God. We are the inscription on the coin. We are the image bearers of God. 
We are what bears the image of the emperor, of the king, of his greatness, of his glory, of his power. That's what it means in Scripture's idea to be human. That's why there is something so special and intricate about God making us directly with his hands, breathing life into us, not just simply letting us evolve because there is a specialness, an intentionality, a directness about being the image of God that he has chosen you, he has made you with dignity, honor, and value in his image. Special. Not on accident. On purpose. We are the image of God, which is not just dignifying for us, but also obligating for us back to God. Give what is God's, give his image back to him. Jesus is saying here, you want to talk about taxes. I want to talk about something bigger than that. You want to talk about one king and one kingdom. I want to talk about something bigger than that. There's a bigger issue here. I want to talk about you. What you're worth. I want to talk about God and what his kingdom is like and your place in it. I want to talk to you about who your real lasting king is. Jesus is trying to show them that in this tax question, they were the ones that were trapped because they were trapped by letting the image of God, the greatness of the eternal God and all his majesty be trapped by one tiny question for one corner of the world in one particular time. They were letting what had such great dignity and value, eternal worth, be contained in the box of a temporary moment. Should we pay taxes or should we not? Jesus is saying no matter how painful or difficult all of that was, and certainly Roman occupation and taxation was not fun or easy or painless, He's trying to point out to them through this, to point out to us through this, that the things that we let our lives get wrapped around are all so temporary. Let me ask you this. Are any of the problems that have your heart wrapped around them today the same problems that you were thinking about with this intensity five years ago? Ten years ago? Twenty years ago? I know we've got some folks that have a little more seasoning in their step here 50 years ago. Are those the same problems? Are they the things that we let our hearts get stuck around? Why, Jesus seems to be asking, are we so consumed with temporary things? Jesus seems to be asking them through, through bringing up the image of God, don't you know who you belong to? Don't you know what you are? Don't you know what goodness and value and beauty there is to who you are? You're made in the image of an infinitely greater king and you're a part of an unfading, eternal, infinitely greater kingdom. Can that really be squashed by something that is so temporary and passing? Are any of us here concerned about Roman taxation? Will anyone, if Jesus has not come back in a thousand years, be concerned about American taxation? No. 
give the image of God yourself back to the only one that can handle the weight, the value, the worth of that and do something with it that is going to be for your good, for your flourishing, something that's not going to put it in a box that's too small for it, something that's going to let you have air, oxygen in your life to let you be built on a firm foundation on the rock that is Jesus Christ, not on the shifting sands that are our circumstances, our trials, our temptations, all the things that break our hearts apart. Give the image of God, Jesus says, back to God. Give yourself back to the one who was meant to hold you. This is Jesus' loving but firm invitation to give the whole of your life back to him in its entirety to get out of the trap of the temporary. But how do we do that? How do we actually make that shift? Moving from being in the box, being wound so tightly around these things that are temporary and passing to being unwound and giving our lives back to God brings us to our last point. Kids, we made it. Point three, stepping into the trap. We make this shift from from being boxed in, from being trapped to being free through what Jesus says in verse 15, what at least that brings to our attention, which is a future trap or test that would lead to giving the image of God finally, fully, freely back to God. Jesus says there in verse 15, why do you put me to the test? He knows, again, they are trying to trap him. So another way to say that is, why are you trying to trap me? Jesus sees the trap and he goes right around it. He is not fooled. He doesn't misunderstand what's happening. He doesn't give some sort of unconscious, ridiculous answer. He amazes them with what he does. He sees the trap, he recognizes it, and he refuses to step in. But there was another trap later on in the Gospel of Mark that curiously Jesus chooses not to avoid. A trap set not by his enemies, not by the leaders, but by one of his own friends, Judas Iscariot. And yet that trap was not a surprise either. At the Last Supper in Mark 14, 18, if you want to look there, Jesus tells his disciples that one of them would betray him. They would set a trap for him. He knew that this was coming. He knew what was going to happen to him. And in John's gospel, John even records Jesus saying directly to Judas about the trap in chapter 13, what you're going to do, do it quickly. And even tells Judas later in the garden in Luke's account, when Judas comes for Jesus to trap him, to arrest him with a mob, he says, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Judas had greeted him with a kiss. Jesus saw that the trap was coming. He saw the trap for what it was, and yet he does not do what he does in this passage. Why doesn't he just step around? Why does he step into the trap if he wasn't surprised by it? Why not just show them the error of their ways? Again, why not reveal himself in a greater way? Reveal that now when you're trying to do this, you are still trapped. Why not do that here?
because avoiding this trap was not what they needed him to do. Avoiding this trap was not what we needed him to do. We didn't need him just to reveal the trap. We needed him to end the trap, to bring us out of it. And for that, Jesus would have to pay the debt, would have to pay the price for sin, for our taking the image of God away from God, for our selling our beautiful birthright off as the image bearers of the King of God, like Esau did with his birthright, just for a bowl of soup, just for something temporary. For all the ways that we sell ourselves cheaply. To have whatever temporary thing the world might offer rather than waiting for something so much greater, and I'm preaching to myself here, than the king and his kingdom. For that, Jesus would have to pay a price, not just to show us that we are trapped, but to bring us out of it. And to do that, he would have to step into the trap to set us free of the ways that the world, through sin, keeps us in the box. He wouldn't avoid the temporary pain to have the eternal gain. He wouldn't, for you, avoid the temporary pain that was deep and ugly and awful. He would not step around that if it meant having you. To get to you, he would step through that. He does not go around the pain to get to you. We're going to talk about that next week, but he goes through it to find you. He let himself be crushed by the trap of sin so that through his death, he might actually break it from within. So that it wasn't just something that we see and have to avoid, but so that you could walk past it, through it, over it, and it would no longer harm you. That's what he did on the cross. He stepped into the trap that you and I have set for ourselves. He died to sin there for us, though he had no sin, so that by faith, when we put our faith in him, we become united to Christ so that it was actually you and I that were crucified with him there so that it was in us that the trap of sin was broken. It was for us that it was broken. Though we couldn't do it, he could. And when we put our faith in him, that happens to us too. The trap of sin gets broken in your life so that it no longer rules over you. All the language in Scripture are talking about you are no longer under sin, but under grace. It's talking about a transferring from one kingdom to another. Though you may be in transit, you are now citizens of a different kingdom when you are in Christ. You are image bearers of the king, and as such, you belong to him, whether you feel like that or not. Whether you feel like the trap of sin is broken for you today or not. In Jesus Christ, it is actually broken, because feeling is not what saves you. just want to say that again because I struggle with this. Feeling is not what saves you. Feeling like you are good, feeling like you are doing all the right things, feeling like you are right with God is not what saves you. Jesus is what saves you. Amen? Jesus is what saves you, not your feeling, not your best day, not your worst day. Jesus is what saves you. Thank God it is not your feeling. It is not my feeling that saves us. It is not something temporary. Are we again trapped by the temporary of our feelings when it's the eternal and the permanent 
of Jesus that saves us. He's the one that breaks the trap, not you. And he is always going to do whatever it takes to bring you back to himself, to get his image back, to give it back to God when you're not ready to give it, when we didn't want to give it, when we wanted to sell ourselves cheaply. That's when Jesus stepped in and broke the whole thing apart. Not when we were ready. Not when we figured out how to break the trap. You walk today if you believe in him as those for whom the trap is broken. No matter what you do. That's the life that we live. So in closing, I want to have us look very briefly at how we might apply some of this to our lives this week. I want to encourage you to do two things in light of this. Ask and have. Ask and have. Ask yourself. I'm trying to ask myself this week in the midst of move and stress and chaos and our lives in boxes and one of our pods still in Philadelphia, not picked up. Mm. In the midst of all this, asking myself, asking yourself, why am I so consumed with temporary things? Ask yourself, maybe later today, what is consuming my thought life right now, moment by moment? Right? What, what's the thing that I don't have to ask for it to come back around? It just comes back around. It lives rent-free in my brain right now. Will that thing still be important to you when you have been in glory with God for a thousand years? Will it have any bearing whatsoever on who you are? Ask yourself, why are you letting the temporary take control in the moment when it feels like it is just crushing you, when it no longer has the right to tell you who you are or what will become of you? With Jesus, you now get to say, I am okay, I'm going to be okay. No matter what else is happening, the promise is that you wake up in glory, that your feet are going to walk on streets of gold. I don't know if we let ourselves imagine that, and that may sound like a fairy tale to some of you, but that is the promise of Christianity, an almost too good to be true promise. Are we letting ourselves be trapped by the temporary, or are we letting ourselves start to dream a little bit about the eternal? Because that's what's ours. That's what you are. You are the image of God. Give the image of God back to him. Ask him to set you free in these places where you're being ruled by the temporary. And finally, have. Have an image bearer mindset about yourselves. When the temporary things of our world, when sin comes to knock at your door, when oppression and injustice come your way, when you are treated poorly because of how you look, how you talk, where you come from, where you grew up, ask yourself, as an image bearer of God, what is already true about me? What do I already have that I cannot lose? What will I have and how might I live right now knowing the dignity, glory, honor, and power is actually alive in me through the Holy Spirit? How would I live differently if I knew that that was true in my bones? How would I go through this conflict, this tension, this struggle, 
If I believe that that was true, that I believe that the Holy Spirit, that the one who raised Jesus from the dead now lives in me, and I in him, and I will only be with him forever. How would I approach this moment differently if I really lived like that was true? Let the image of God in you speak back to your circumstances, back to your temptations and your trials. Let it speak a better word over you because now you are a daughter or son of the king, of the emperor, no matter what anyone says of you. That's the image that you bear. People don't get to decide. God gets to decide. God has decided that's who you are. No matter what anyone else says, no matter what you can or can't do, that is what God says about you. Let's rest in that declaration. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for setting us free from the rule of sin. We know that we will one day see that that's true, even if now we don't feel that that's true. Even if there are ways that we, we confess that we are still caught up in temporary things and controlled by them, would you set us free from that little by little? Would you fix our eyes on that eternal home that we have with you? Would you give us eyes to see just how beautiful you see us to be? how good and valuable that you would come for us, that you would step into the trap rather than let us go. Rather than save yourself, you would save us. How we thank you that this is who you are and what you do. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.